Okay, so First John chapter 2, verses 14, or verses 15, 16, 17, and 18. So verse 15, 16, 17, and 18. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Hallelujah. Okay, so are you following me well in this series? If you feel lost, hurry up and come. Can you not hear me? Okay. okay. So in this conference, in your ministry and in your faith, I bless you that this conference will be a turning point to really truly revolutionize your life. That when the kingdom of heaven comes, I pray that you would be servants who will stand with me on that day, welcoming in the king. That we are not just confessing with our lips that God is almighty. But that truly that he would be in our lives in a practical sense. The world is getting darker and darker. And in the world there is less and less hope. And it's becoming more difficult to live our lives in this world. But actually, in a sense, this is hope for the remnant. Because it means that we're coming into a time where we cannot survive without faith. That without God, we cannot survive. And so to the remnant, this is actually a blessing that the world is getting darker. It means that the most glorious time is upon us. That where the spiritual realm will be embodied in our world. We'll see the feeding of the 5,000 happen again. We'll see manna fall from heaven. We'll see the Red Sea split apart. You'll see these with your own two eyes. And not only will you see it with your own eyes, but you'll be the main character. And so look at the glorious time that is upon us. Amen. And so brothers, love the praise, love the ministry, love the word as well. Okay, so let's turn to the word. Okay, let's look at chapter 2, verse 1. 
Okay, chapter 2, verse 1, is now once again describing the purpose for why John wrote this letter. Verse 1, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And so through 1 John, when we have fellowship with God, ultimately what's going to happen is we become people who will not sin. This means that the new self has completely taken control of my life. Because the new self has no system to sin. And so if we live by the new self, we will not sin. And so this state uh, is described in the book of Romans as glorified. And in Ephesians, it describes it as our predestination. And so what is predestination? We, what we have been predestined? We have been predestined by God to be pure and blameless from the beginning of time. And so actually even this word, uh, the great prostitute has corrupted it so much. This word predestination. Okay, predestination isn't about oh, who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved. That's not what predestination is. No, it's predestination about the children of God being predestined to be pure and blameless. That God's will for them is to be pure and blameless. And so if you are a child of God, while you are on this earth, what do you need to do? You need to live according to this predestination to be pure and blameless. This is God's desire. It's not out of my efforts. But this is the, uh, the flow, the principle of, of God's salvation. And so, the Bible is not concerned with, with whether you're not you're going to heaven. That's not, that's not important to the Bible. But when it comes to salvation, what is the Bible talking about? That if you are a child of God, then you need to grow to purelessness or to purity and blamelessness. And that is the only promise that the Bible has to the children of God. And so, for example, let's say that this person doesn't live their Christian life properly. Is this person going to heaven or in hell? The Bible doesn't give you hints regarding that. There's no hint in the Bible whether this kind of person is going to be going to heaven or not. You will only know after you die. Let's say you die and you open your eyes and it's very bright, then oh, you came to heaven. But you open your eyes and it's dark. Then uh-oh, you came to the wrong place. No, that's not what this is about. Okay, the Bible doesn't describe things like this. Bible's interest is in only one place, which is what? Which is if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. And if you are a child of God, God's predestined you to be pure and blameless. That is predestination. As it says in Romans 8.30, that those he has called, he has, uh, he has purified. Those he has purified, he has glorified. This is God's predestination. This is his determination. And it also says that God does not regret those we have called. And because we have his calling, we will end up this way. And so what's important is the calling. And so 
to the child of God, he has given in the church everything that the child needs to grow to his predestination. And so salvation we receive, but the process of salvation, the fulfillment of that salvation happens through the church. That's why the church is so important. And, and the great prostitute has uh, polluted this truth to get rid of this predestination of God uh, to be holy and blameless. And so the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages uh, used the fear of hell to expand their own power. You know, they even get to the point where they corrupted it so much that you could pay money to get out of hell and go to heaven. Actually, it's more accurate to say that heaven comes to us, not that we go to heaven. The kingdom of heaven comes on earth, not that we go to the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven first comes in the millennial kingdom. And that millennial kingdom will get covered by the new earth and new heaven. And so it's wrong to say we're going to heaven. It's that the heaven, kingdom of heaven comes to us. And so remember, the New Testament is not focused on whether you're or not you're going to heaven. Are you fulfilling your predestination and living by the authority, dignity, and majesty you have as the child of God? The issue isn't how successful you are on this earth. The issue is, are you living with that dignity as the king? Amen? Amen. And so Hebrews also describes this as what? As entering into the Sabbath rest. So the New Testament, uh, our goal in our faith life is to enter to the Sabbath rest. What is the Sabbath rest? Is that it takes no effort to, to live that faith. It takes no effort to pray. Okay, it's not that, oh, you don't sin because you try not to sin. But rather, your being in itself cannot sin. And so living with God in everything becomes effortless. That is what Sabbath rest is all about. Just like uh, when a rocket uh, goes into orbit, it needs to use all of its energy to escape the atmosphere. But once it escapes the atmosphere, it only takes a little bit of energy to make it move. That it only takes a little bit of energy for it to go to the Mars. That's what Sabbath rest is all about. And so we need to enter into the Sabbath rest of faith. Amen? Amen. And so for this reason, uh, standing as the new self is fulfilling God's promise. And then so it, uh, 1 John was written so that we would not sin. And when the new self grows inside of us, that will happen automatically. It becomes more and more difficult to sin. And so this is clear evidence of your growth spiritually. If it becomes more difficult for you to sin to the point where sin becomes impossible. And I'm not talking about sin in your actions, but this essential sin. You need to see the source, the root of that evil that is inside of you. This desire to possess things. 
this, even this desire to possess things, you need to understand it as an evil. The desire for security. This desire to be comfortable on this earth. And Costa Rica, this is actually one thing that has influenced you the most, this desire to be secure. This desire to be secure. Costa Rica needs to break apart this desire for security. Okay, this is all coming from Babylon. And then the desire for success and honor. If you have strong desire for honor and success, you'll be influenced by the spirit of religion. And then the desire for pleasure, the desire for control. Because the church lacks the joy of God, they're always looking for pleasure. And so if you ask me, what is the desire for control? Wait, sorry. Or if you ask me, what is a disciple? It is worship. What is the most easiest thing? It is ministry. That's what you need to be able to confess. And then the last desire is the desire for idolatry. And these are the uh, five desi evil desires of man that is described in the book of Habakkuk. And when you acknowledge these desires as wickedness, as evil, that's when you are growing. And that's why at the height of Paul's uh, spirituality, what confession did he make? He said in uh, 2 Timothy 1.15, that I, or First Timothy 1.15 that I am the worst of all sinners it's not because he committed some famous sin but rather he's seeing the essential wickedness within his desires and so when you see these wickedness and you have the desire to fight it and you are able to repent of these things that's when, it when sin becomes impossible to you but the problem here is, is that we do sin for a time. For a time, we do sin. But as I said this morning, the record of sin has been, has been erased. That you have received the righteousness of God that acknowledges that you have not sinned. And yet, we do see that we sin for a time. Because the old self still exists within you. As it says in Galatians 2.20, that when I died with Jesus Christ on the cross, the old self died. And yet this old self can come back alive. That's the problem. If you choose sin, the old self will come back alive. And then so this, in a sense, is our torture. That it'd be great if it, if it just died once, right? Once and for all, it'd be great. And yet it comes back alive. Why? Why did God determine this? Because when we received God's righteousness, nominally we became righteous. That you have been acknowledged by God that you have no sin. But the problem is we do not enter into the kingdom of heaven just simply being nominally righteous. We need to be practically righteous as well. And so the old self inside of me died once, and yet the reason why he's still allowed to be revived is because as this civil war goes on inside of you, as it says in Galatians 5.25, that, that the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit are fighting within my members. 
and this warfare is so severe that as Romans in Romans 7 Paul says what he says woe is me woe is me that who is going to save me from this wretched body of mine and so if you are practicing your spiritually properly then you will feel this wretchedness you will feel this torture and this pain of this wrestling that's going on within you but anyways, as this old self and new self continues to fight, as the new self wins and wins and wins, you grow from nominally righteous to practically righteous. You are being practically established as the glorious heirs of God. And so if you do not engage in this spiritual warfare within your members, that is a dangerous thing. You are unaware that the old self and new self is within you. And you are just simply living by the impulses of your fleshly desires. But if you are victorious in this fight, uh, let us be victorious in this fight every day. And so that we can become practically righteous. And this is actually God's blessing of grace for us. And it's the same thing when it comes to demons. When Jesus died on the cross, he took the victory from the devil. And devil has been already, has stands condemned and is judged. And yet the devil is still uh, tempting us and still uh, fighting against us, right? You see that. Why did God allow this? As we can see in Hebrews 2.8, Because you are not simply just being victorious uh, in the victory that Jesus had, but through your fight, you will in, in experience the same victory that Jesus had and be filled with that joy. That, when, that what God desires from you is for you to fight that fight and be victorious so that you can take that crown. And that's why the devil is still here. And why are the demons here on this earth? It's for your entertainment. So that you can uh, relieve your stress on the devil. And so you can trample the devil every day. And so everything that God allows is for you. Aren't you thankful? And so aren't you thankful to God? Let's give thanks to God. And then so if we sin, is it over for us? No, it's not. Now again, we need to understand that there's someone who can help us in our sins. And as we'll see in verse... 5 uh, okay uh, later in verse 1 right uh, but if anyone does sin we have an advocate with the father Jesus Christ the righteous and so this word with the father this is again the word prof. and so all I, what I have to do is be facing towards the father facing towards the Father. So once again, what is Christianity? It's about standing before God. As it says in 1 Corinthians 2.15, Paul describes his faith life like this, that I'm standing before God, 
and I live by what God pours out to me. And this doesn't just apply to Paul, this should be all of our lives. We do not live by what the world gives. We are not concerned and our happiness is not determined by whether the world gives or not gives. We live by what God gives. Amen? And that's the faith you need to have. Amen? And, so, and this is the most important principle as you pastor your children, as your church. That they would not lose the dignity that they have as, as children of God. Never ascribe greatness to the world. Never ascribe majesty to the world. And don't even al allow even a little bit of, of compromise to your church members. And so I'm sure it's the same in South America. But in Korea, it's really difficult for the young adults to find jobs. And whenever they ask me, should I quit my job? I don't, I don't care. I just say, quit your job. And let, uh, that, uh, to quit their job so that they can come to a conference. I never once told them to skip the conference to work. Why? Because the world cannot determine your happiness. We do not live by the power of the world. Amen? The world is nothing. If you look at Habakkuk, the world is simply an inheritance that's going to burn tomorrow. So why are you going to invest in something that's going to burn tomorrow? And so I, I have lots to talk about regarding this world. And it's something when we go to talk about Hebrews 10, 15. But the church needs to be completely separate from the world. That the world should have no influence over the church. And we'll talk about this a little bit later. But anyways, he's saying we have an advocate with the Father. And who is this advocate? It is Jesus Christ. And because we have this advocate, we can stand before God. And then so in, in this morning, oh, we've talked about Hebrews 7.15, that when we stand before God, that Jesus Christ uh, advocates on our behalf. Just like when you look at the 12 sons of Jacob, as long as Joseph is there, the 11 brothers are blessed, right? Through their one brother, Joseph. In the same way, Joseph uh, advocates his brothers to Pharaoh. And so they get to live in the best of land, the land of Goshen in Egypt. And Jesus, who is our brother, when he advocates us before God, what's going to happen to you? And so everything that the Bible speaks of, you need to understand it as real, as reality. It isn't imagination, it isn't theory, it's not allegory. And so you need to understand that Jesus is advocating the, to you to the Father every day. Why? Because He came to this earth with, on the flesh because of His love for us. For His, for His love for us, He threw everything away. And so you cannot express this love except for as uh, explosive force. 
And so how much does He love you? More than you can ever imagine. And so this body that He put on because of His love for you is the source of such great pride to Him. And so when Jesus resurrected, He resurrected with the human body as it was. But when we resurrect, we're going to put on the perfect body, right? But Jesus' resurrection, He's still resurrected in the flesh. And with that flesh, He rose up to heaven. And you'll see in 1 Timothy 2.4, even now He's standing before the throne, but He's wearing what? The flesh. And he still has his scars. His scars remain and he still feels that love for men. So let's turn to this word directly. First Timothy. First Timothy 2.5, not 4.2.5. For there's one God and there's one mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus emphasis on the man so this is really important if you ignore this context it's very dangerous and so he's going to come again to this earth and as it says in Zechariah 14 He's going to come wearing that same body. And so the Jews who are in Jerusalem are going to see those scars and call and call upon him and ask, who gave you all these scars? And so even when he returns, he's going to be wearing that same body. And not verse 14, chapter 14, but chapter 12. Chapter 13. Chapter 13. And so look, once the millennial kingdom finishes, uh, the new heaven and new earth will come. And this perfect victory, victorious men will praise the Lamb and will praise God. And so though we don't know what they're going to say, they're going to praise the Lamb. And this Lamb is going to put on the same body and keep that same body. Why? Because it is the representative of His love for us. And He takes great pride in that love for us. And so the, but the focus isn't in the body, but the focus is on how much He loves us, how, what He has done for us. And so when you draw near to His grace, throne of grace, He continually advocates for you. And so what does 1 John say regarding this advocation? that we have a great advocate that we have a defender right 
we have an advocate. This advocate is the Greek word palakletos, which means our lawyer. And so, uh, as long as he defends you, you will be victorious all the time. And so, uh, he's, you are continually emptying yourself for that. And so why? Because he says, what's his defense for you? I spill my blood for him. And so Jesus is our paracletos. And he is advocating for you. And the Holy Spirit is also the paracletos. And the Holy Spirit is always defending you that you are the child of God. And what else is he advocating for you? That the, the Jesus' blood inside of you is also advocating for you. As we see in Hebrews 12, 4, is that it is the blood that speaks. Because this blood has life, this blood is continually speaking to you. And what does it say? He says that he is righteous. You are righteous. You are righteous. And that's why Hebrews says the blood that speaks. And so continually um, advocating that you are righteous. And so this is the reason why you should not be deceived by the devil. Oh, look, you don't have any money. Oh, you can't do this. You can't do that. You sinned this that one day. Oh, you still hate that person, right? Oh, what can you do on this earth? Don't listen to these accusations. All we have to do is listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Listen to the blood of Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit that continually defends you, saying that you are righteous. And so right now, sprinkle the blood of Jesus on your ears. Sprinkle the blood of Jesus on your ears. And cast out the devil. You can no longer accuse me. And the person who listens to a lot of the accusation of the devil, you can see the devil always next to their ear. You know, like these Bluetooth earphones these days, it's kind of like you have a Bluetooth earphone that is connected to devil. In the same way, the devil is always connected to your ear. And so remember that you have this amazing lawyer at your side. And who is this lawyer? He is Jesus Christ the righteous. And we talked about righteousness in chapter 1 verse 9. That he has fulfilled all righteousness. That through the blood, his pure blood, he erased all of our uh, records of sin. And he, he is the one who is defending us. And through his righteousness, his righteousness, that he was proclaimed as Christ through his purity, right? And he became king, right? Christ means king, Messiah. He is your king. 
And so he fulfilled all these things and gave us his righteousness. What that means is that he has given you the authority. That no one can take that authority from you. Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, that who can cut us off from the love of Christ? That no matter how much you may love someone, a person cannot take responsibility for another person. Because let's say that I love this person, but someone stronger than me comes and takes that person away. I cannot do anything. Let's say that this person is sick. Can I heal this person? And let's say I don't have money, then I cannot feed that person. And so man cannot take responsibility for another man. That is the tragedy of our love. I may say I love you, and you may feel good, but I cannot do anything more than that. But the love of Christ is different. When he says he loves me, he can perfectly take responsibility. And so what does Paul say? Who can cut us off from the love of Christ? Can the sword, can the devil, can anything, can power or principality, nothing can cut us off from the love of Christ. And so we have this amazing love. Then who dare accuse me? Devil, there's no time. Come at me all at once because I take care of you once and for all. Okay, don't don't use this too often, okay? Because it's dangerous. The devil will come if you challenge him. But that's what Paul is saying in Romans 8. He's saying, all of Rome, come at me at once. All the devils, come at me at once. Because this love, it fills him with this power. And this love, right now, Jesus Christ, in that love, he is calling you righteous. In that love, he is giving you this righteousness. No one can take that away from you. Bless the person next to you. That you are righteous. Uh, that God calls you righteous. Bless the person next to you. God calls you righteous. Let's move on to verse 2. And so if you are sleepy, uh, keep raising your wand. Keep raising your wand, okay? Okay, I think Pastor Francisco was very smart in doing this. Okay, so keep uh, shaking your wand. And, you know, because we're in Costa Rica, the coffee is good quality, right? Now, when I go to Honduras, what am I going to say? I'm probably going to say Honduras coffee is the best. And if I go to Guatemala, I'll say Guatemala coffee is the best. If I go to Colombia, then of course I'm going to say Colombian coffee is the best. Okay, let's go to verse 2. He is the propitiation for our sins. And so we said earlier, He is our advocate. 
But he's not just an advocate, but he's all propitiation. And there's a depth of meaning here. And so this word propitiation in Greek is the word hirastelmos. Hilasmos. And when you enter into the Holy, Holy of Holies, there is the. Okay, and so, uh, one moment, one moment, please. Okay, there is the uh, mercy seat, right? The mercy seat. And the word mercy seat is, it comes from the same root as hirelmos, which is hirestelmos. And so, right, when you come with blood, uh, God will meet with Israel in that mercy seat. And so here, when he calls him the propitiation, why is he our propitiation? Because above that mercy seat is where God and Israel are at peace. And this blood has the power to bring peace to God, uh, between God and Israel. So listen carefully here. Okay, receive this in faith so that you can be at peace with God at all times. And so all of these concepts of, of Old Testament was described in Romans 3.25. And so let's turn to Romans 3.25. Romans 3.25. It says that whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And it's because of this blood that we are at peace with God. It's through and for this reconciliation, he became an offering for us. And this offering, what effect does it have? Is that um, to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. So this Passover, right? It, 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 it alludes to the Passover of, of Israel, right? The Passover. And so because of this blood, he passes over. And so through that, your righteousness is revealed. And so who is this? Who is this righteousness to be revealed? To show whose righteousness? It's God's righteousness. That through, uh, when God passes over former sins because of the blood of Jesus Christ, whose righteousness is being revealed? It is God's righteousness. So what this means is that God is a God who cannot tolerate sin and must judge sin. 
He cannot compromise with sin. And so as sinners, we should be judged. And yet, at the same time, God loves us. And so He cannot put us to death. And yet, at the same time, He cannot love us while we are in sin. And so, in this conflict that God has, Jesus Christ became an offering to be the propitiation for our sins. And through that, God was able to approach us. That He was able to confirm the righteousness that could not uh, come close to sin. And so when this sin is, when this righteousness is confirmed and expanded, what else is expanded? God's love is expanded. And so Jesus' blood is being spoken here. And in Jesus' blood is what? The love of God and the righteousness of God comes together as one. And that's holiness. And so that's why in the name of Jesus we can receive God's holiness. Listen carefully. Okay, Jesus' blood reconciled the conflict between God's righteousness and God's love. We were beings who cannot receive the holiness of God, but now we can through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so what, what does that mean? In holiness, what else? What is there? There is love and righteousness, justice moving together. And so in every aspect, we are at peace with God. We are reconciled to God. We are reconciled to righteous God, and we are also reconciled to love of God. And so at any time, 24 hours, 7 days a week, 365 days, we can come near to the throne of grace. And that's why Hebrews 4.16 says that those who in the time of need draw near to the throne of grace. And below that it says this. It says exception on weekdays and, or weekends and holidays. Is that what's written in the Bible? No, there's no uh, subscript. 24 hours, 7, 365. You can come before the throne of grace at any time. Why? Why? Because righteousness and love are all reconciled perfectly in His love, in His blood. And then so we should also look at verse 26. This was to show His righteousness at the present time. And so He was once again conf uh, expanding His righteousness and also to uh, give us that righteousness that has that confirms that we have no sin why because Jesus Christ has already solved everything and so he gives us this acknowledgement that we have no sin not even one sin why because if I have one sin and I come before God then I will die and so you need to be acknowledged as having no sin amen and so you have no sin at all amen and so this is the meaning behind propitiation and so look at how important that is. Remember, God is, is eternally present tense. And so in space and time, God, we cannot meet with Him with this three-dimensional space and time. Because He is high, high, most high, which means He transcends all, all our, our understanding. And yet, when Jesus died on the cross, 
though God transcends our physical space and time, and yet I can meet with Him every day because of the blood of Christ, because of this propitiation. That's what this propitiation means. And so there's no limitation for me to meet with Him. And so how important is this ministry, Paul says, in 2 Corinthians, turn to 2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And so this propitiation, this, this amazing background was made through Jesus Christ. And so he gave us this ministry of reconciliation. And so when Paul, his apostolic ministry, the focus of it is that Jesus Christ has reconciled man to God. And so the most important thing of his ministry is to uh, proclaim the good news that we have been reconciled to God. And so as pastors, we have the same calling. What are you to proclaim and what are you to bring your church members to believe in? that you are no longer under God's wrath. That you are no longer beings who cannot meet with God. But Jesus Christ has reconciled you to God. And so meet with God. Meet with God. Meet with God. So the church is not a place to teach your church members to be successful on this earth. No, you are opening the road so that they can meet with God every day. And so look at 2 Corinthians. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the word to himself. So why is Paul able to say this? That because his son died for us, in him, the world, uh, everything is in him. And so, uh, and so the Jesus' blood reconciles all the conflict of God regarding this world. And so that's why he reconciles the world to himself. And so whoever you may be is in this world, as long as you receive this in faith, uh, you are reconciled to God. Amen? And so I wanted to preach out of 2 Corinthians to you. But next time, next time, because I need 21 sessions to preach out of 2 Corinthians. So I'll do this the next opportunity I have. So let's turn back to First John. There's so much to do. I'm sorry for uh, oversimplifying things. But when it comes to this word propitiation, we need to understand how important this concept is to us. There are many reasons why you cannot draw near to God. 
But of course, it's, one of it is because you do not know the truth. But the reason why you don't know the truth is because you're unable to believe that Jesus Christ has reconciled you to God. And so the Word of God in certain aspects may seem mysterious. From what perspective? From the perspective of people who live by their thoughts, by their mindsets. But if you live by the Spirit, meeting with God is not mysterious but practical. Just as living in the Spirit is practical. And so ultimately, the world is, has to choose. Are you going to live by the Spirit or are you going to live by the world? And so that's why... Oh, sorry, one moment. Okay, so can the devil choose between the soul and the spirit? Or not the devil, sorry, can a pig? No, it's impossible. Only man, only man can choose between flesh, soul, and spirit. But all three of these things are real. If you live by the spirit, you will come to know and experience the spiritual realm in a real way. Going beyond that, as a Christian, we are not people, beings who live by what we see. Rather, we, un we define things by what we do not see. And so the important, all the things that are important in this world are invisible. But, and so it's the Spirit. As it says in Ephesians 6.11, let's say that this brother hates me. Try hating me. Then I should not hate him back. Why? Because there's a spirit behind him controlling him. And that's what I need to be able to see. And so we do not respond to the flesh. Let's say he doesn't have money. Giving him money, is that going to make him happy? No. He's not going to be happy because he gets money. No, we, he needs to first deal with this spiritual issue of greed. It's the same thing with all issues of man. That, that if they do not deal with the spiritual things, they, they, that their fleshly things, no thing will be solved. And so if you are falling because of man, you always fall because of man. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. If you're suffering because of money, you will always fall because of money. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. So this must be amen. So you are pastors, yes? And as pastors, you are need to be experts in uh, understanding the spiritual realm. And so if you are unable to loosen and bind the things in the spiritual realm, there's no hope for your church. And so I can preach on this throughout the year. That, uh, that when the spiritual thing gets loosened, all of a sudden money get, uh, gets loosened. As personnel um, bindings get loosened, all of a sudden people uh, that I need come. That uh, as devils get chased out, this fleshly strength um, gets, disappears. And so we need to understand that there is always spiritual reasons for everything that goes on. And so yes, as pastors, you have the power and authority to bind on in the, and loosen in the spiritual realm. 
and so we need to receive in faith that we are one with God that we can draw near to him and we need to have the confidence to draw near to him and so when you have this confidence confidence in reconciliation what powerful emotion is going to take over you Ah, the confidence to be able to pray that I will that no matter what I pray God will answer if you look at first uh, Kings 5 when Elijah prays uh, he controls the gates of heaven automatically that, that and this isn't just to Elijah it applies to the children of God that they can open the gates of heaven automatically this is the most important essence when it comes to being reconciled to God and so is the blood of Jesus inside of you or not? That means you are reconciled to God's justice and His love perfectly. There's no limit for you to draw near to Him. Have faith! And so starting today, you're going to come before God. Amen? And then now let's start looking from verses 3 to 6. Evidence of God's fellowship, of fellowship with God. Evidence of fellowship with God. And so we're going to get to verse 11 really quickly because all of this was already described. And so let's get to verse 11 in five minutes. Why? Because from verse 12 is where important words are. And so let's look at the evidence of fellowship in verse 3. And so, and with this we know we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. And so if I have a relationship of obedience, then what does that mean? That means that I am in the new self. And so it means that I already have fellowship with this triune God. And so if you look at the Bible, everywhere in the Bible, you need to understand it, unravel it through new self, old self, new self, old self. If not, then you cannot properly interpret the words of the Bible. And so this is really important to embodying the word. Everything that we talked about last night, everything that's continuing on is really important because the early church uh, saints already knew this and understood this. And so there was no reason for the apostles to explain this in detail because they already understood this. And so yesterday we talked about new self, old self, and indwelling and imminent presence. And so all of these things must be automatically applied when you read the Bible. The same thing with Apostle Paul's epistles. Only then can the Word of God truly be embodied in you. And then so if you are obedient, you are what? New self. That means that already you have fellowship with God. And because you are obedient, what? You know Him. And so, uh, apart from this word fellowship, another word that Paul, uh, John uses throughout this book is the word ginosko. What does ginosko mean? It means to know by experience. That you will know God through experience. 
that as you are obeying the Word of God and, and the Word of, and you experience the Word of God, what are you experiencing? You're experiencing God. You are meeting with God. Do you, have, do you believe this? It's because this only happens every now and then that you don't feel the joy of that. But if you're continually obeying the Word of God, then ah, you understand that this is God right now moving. That this is God right now. And so he gives you this security and this comfort. And so let's say some kind of event happens, your body doesn't move first, but you stop. You stop and you give up on your judgment. You, you, you reject your judgment. Why? Because you understand that your strength lies in God. So this is something that you need to practice in the new self. Amen. So look at verse 4. That whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And so when they say that they know him, that means that they saying that they are experiencing him. And so throughout, especially 1 John, it's always talking about the moment, that moment, that moment, the state of your being at that moment. And so I met with God and I had fellowship with him for a time. But after a while, I hated a brother. And the moment that I hated my brother, I give up on knowing God. It is null and void. And so in this sense, when it comes to the spiritual realm, we need to always be alert. And so uh, you, you live out your salvation in fear and trembling, right? Continually welcoming Jesus Christ every moment by moment. And so salvation, salvation already, but not yet. You already have been saved. The moment you met with the Lord, you have been saved. And yet, not yet. What does this mean? That you have not yet completed, perfected salvation. It's the same thing with judgment. And as I prophesied, judgment, they are already, those who do not believe, they already stand judged. Already you are judged. When? The moment you choose darkness. But not yet. That, judge just that judgment just simply hasn't been executed. And so, salvation must be lived out in fear and trembling. And so, we're not living in fear, but rather always maintaining this vigilance to be facing towards God. But if you live by the flesh, you lose sight of this spiritual vigilance. You cannot be alert. And so, if you are not alert spiritually, it's not easy to pray. And so your spirit needs to always be alert. That, oh, God's direction is here. Uh, right now, God wants to go this way. Oh, maybe he wants to stop here. You need to always maintain this relationship with God. Amen? Amen? And so if you live by the flesh, you will not understand this. It's when you live in the spirit that you will see this and understand this. And so for a moment, they knew God. But they didn't keep the commandments. And yet their mind still says that I am a child of God and I know God. But that is a lie. Why? Because they are living in the old self. And then so if you look in the Lord's Prayer, it says, Our Father who art in heaven. 
And when I call our Father, that means that I have this relationship of life, that He is the Father who has given me life. That's why I call Him our Father. But let's say in a moment, money became your Father. Then, because your brain acknowledged God as Father once, your mouth may still confess God as Father, but your spirit, your spirit, if it doesn't treat God as life, then already it, it forgets who, who, your, who your God is and goes to the contact that you saved. So you call God Father, but He is not actually a Father. And really, one time I was interpreting someone's prayer, and they said, Mr. God, not God Father. This is a true story. That they were saying, Mr. God, Mr. God. Or Uncle God, or, or Neighbor God. Why? Because they do not treat God as their life. And so every moment by moment, just as... Uh, uh, so through this continuous gathering of love, you, you grow to glorification. And so when the Holy Spirit comes, already you have received eternal life. And so while we live on this earth, my schedule is not based on earthly time, but on heavenly time. And so all this time that you're spending right now is an investment for that spiritual future. And so this eternal time cannot be limited, cannot be stopped by physical time. And so already you are living a life that belongs to the eternal time. And so not the Hora, but Kairos of God. The children of God live by the time of Kairos. Amen? So what is Kairos? Kairos isn't physical time, but Kairos is speaking about the opportune time, the time that God wants. If you, if you look at NIV, it calls it the opportune time. And that's a very good interpretation. That when Jesus comes, do not lose sight of that opportunity. That when God approaches you in the Word, that it needs to come as Kairos the opportune time and so receive it receive it for now is the time and so if you read verse 4 without the context of new stuff old stuff you will not understand anything and so what's important right now And so let's say you were saved once. Wait, what? I'm sorry, one moment. Okay. 
And so this is all talking about old self, new self. And so without understanding old self, new self, this is really difficult to unravel. When you read this verse without the old self, new self, you may think that, oh, I believe in God, but then all of a sudden I'm committing apostasy. No, that's not the case. It's old self, new self. And so verse 5. For whoever keeps his word in him, and so who is the one who keeps the word? It's the new self. And in him, the truly, the love of God is perfected. Why? Because they're the new self. They're constantly receiving the love that God pours out. And, they're and so they're receiving that love. And so in him, that love is perfected. And through that, what do we know? We know that the love is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in Him. So again, in His Trinity, in this dynamic, and so in this relationship, I receive the love of God, and, and Jesus confirms that love, and the Holy Spirit testifies to that love. And so this Trinity is continually working in, in this dynamic in you. And so when you do not know this mechanism, Oh, oh, wait, what? Uh, sorry, one moment. And so it's really easy. All we have to do is what? Is face God. Just face God. It's very easy. Just living with God is the easiest thing. Okay, it's not out of your studies, it's not out of your, your research. No, He lives your life for you. Amen? And so, the Israelites, when they were in the wilderness, they, they complained. And they were bitten by the serpents. And God does what? How does God save them? Do, that, do they have to go to the Jordan River to swim? Right, there was someone who was saved like that. Someone who tries to always go to the Jordan River to wash, to bathe. But no, that's not what God said. That's actually legalism right there. Legalism always tries to bathe in the Jordan River. And so how difficult will their faith life be if they're always trying to bathe in the Jordan River? But what did God say? God says to look upon this bronze serpent. So why did they die? Did they die because they were bitten by snakes? No, they died because they lacked faith. All they had to do was look up. So many people think they die because they have no money or they think that they don't have any connections or they think because their business failed. No, they did not die because they were bitten by serpents. They died because they did not look at the, at the bronze serpent. They died because they did not have faith. That's how easy it is to live with God. All you have to do is look up. Then you will live. And so we need to be clear. We need to be clear. Why did they die? They did not die because they were bitten by snakes. They died because they lacked faith. Do you die because of money? No. Do you die because of the world? No. You die because you do not look. All you have to do is look to God. Why do you not look when it's so simple? And so is living with God easy or difficult? It's easy, right? It needs to be easy. 
And so when pastors lead their sheep from the front, okay, if the pastor is having a very difficult time leading in the front, then would the sheep want to follow that pastor? If he, and so you should not be shaken, uh, suffering and tortured. Pastors need to be light on their feet, bounding in joy. And so why did they die? Because they lacked money? No, because they did not look. Because they failed to believe. And so all we have to do is look at him. Amen, it's so easy. So let's continue. Verse 6. Uh, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And so this word walk, right? Walk is talking about their being, not their action. And so that means that the Trinity God is dynamically moving in them. And so uh, as he has done, I can do. And so just as Jesus followed God and the Holy Spirit follows God, in the same way I follow them. And so it moves together as one. And so this is what it means to walk and abide in, in this Emmanuel. Right? In the Old Testament, there is this character named Enoch. And why is, where is Enoch's greatness comes from? What is his greatness? Is that he had many children. That's his greatness. That's why I have six children. So this is really important, okay? But here it says that Enoch walked with God, right? And what does it mean that, that he walked with God? Is he followed after God? He played with God. And so God came to Enoch. And he said, Enoch, let's play. And as Enoch was eating, do you think he said, God, wait, wait for me to finish my food? No, he just went straight to God and played. And then second day, God came again and said, Enoch, let's go play. Oh God, I'm taking a bath. Then again, no, he just played with God. And so a third day again, Enoch, come play. And yes, I'm coming. And then they played too, so late. And so God said to Enoch, what, what did he say? He said, let's go home to my, my house. And that's why Enoch went up to heaven and did not die. So let us walk with God. Living with God is easy. And so uh, when we walk with God, what else did he do? He didn't just walk with God, but he also gave birth to many children. So what am I trying to say to you right now? Having fellowship with God is not difficult. It's because of the fleshly life that you think is difficult. If you live in the Spirit, it's easy. If you find living with God to be difficult, that is a serious problem. That means that you are polluted by religion. 
religion and legalism has polluted you. If you live in the spirit, you will always be excited every day and playing with God every day. Look at my face. Do you not see my excitement and wonder? So let's continue. Okay, let's hurry up and get to verse 11. Verse 7. Now it's evidence of your, um, your, your, your fellowship being cut. We already talked about this already. So beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment. And so he wants to talk about love right now. And so he's going to speak of hate. And so this love isn't a new commandment. It's been written even in the Old Testament. And so, but uh, old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. And remember, the focus of the Old Testament is love. And so when we have fellowship, what is the focus of fellowship? It's to receive His love. The kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of love. As it says in Colossians 2.13, that the love of the Son, or the kingdom of the Son is the kingdom of love. And so the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom that where love reigns. And so if you look at John 12, it says that there is no greater love than laying your life down for your brother. And so the community, you need to have that relationship with one another to be able to lay down your lives for one another. Why else do you think we call each other brothers? We are not calling each other brothers just to, to, because of our relationship to one another, but rather because of our relationship to Jesus Christ. And so when I call one another brother, what am I saying? I'm saying that I can die for you. And so that's why the uh, highest honor to, to greet one another in, in the early church was to say this, is that I want to be your church. What does that mean? That means that I can die for you. And this was the most powerful relationship at the early church. And so truly, being a church is a terrifying thing, isn't it? Because for His church, God will hold nothing back. If you, if you look at Acts 24, 28, it says that it's the blood of the church that was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. It was the blood of His Son. But why does He say the blood of God? Because though it was the Son who spilled His blood, who is going to feel more pain, the Father or the Son? The Father. And so, the fact that you are a pastor of one church needs to be your pride, but at the same time, your burden. So verse 8, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you. And in John, it says that I have a new commandment I write to you. And again, the focus of that new commandment is what? Is love. And so this, this love that was recorded in Deuteronomy is being re reinterpreted in the New Testament. 
And so we love this. We have the same love in the Old Testament. And yet, why is he saying it's a new covenant, a new commandment? Because in the Old Testament, you could not expand and you cannot uh, make it real. But in the New Testament, that love of God through Jesus Christ is, is, is actualized, is embodied and confirmed. And so he came to this earth not simply to save you so that you can go to heaven. If that was his goal, he didn't have to come to this earth. He could just speak the word. And yet, why did he come to this earth? And why did he come to this earth in the flesh? It's because of this love. Ultimately, it's because of this love. And so, when man comes to this love, they cannot help but love back. And so, look at how much the devil is deceiving you. As if that salvation is, is, is the highest goal to your spirituality. No, salvation is simply the beginning. But it is not the goal. It is simply the beginning. Amen? And so when you preach in your church, do not treat salvation as if it's the end all. Okay. As I said this morning, the Bible does not consider salvation the ultimate goal. Okay, and so let's continue. A new commandment. And so a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in Him. And because uh, the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. And so when he wrote the Gospel of John, he said that through his coming, the true light shined. Now through the fall of Adam, uh, he separated man from God and in darkness. But through his coming, this darkness was rolled away and the true light shines. So let's continue. And whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. And so if you are in light, what does that mean? That means you are facing towards God, and you are receiving his love, and you are receiving him. But if you are hating someone, then what does that mean? That means that your fellowship with God has been cut, and that you are in darkness. And so look. Uh, just attending church itself cannot guarantee anything for you. You need to continually confirm that you're receiving the light. Do not compromise and tolerate anything that keeps you from receiving that light. For example, let's say it's a spiritual wound or spiritual binding or some kind of worldly standard. If anything is an obstacle to receiving His light, you need to get rid of it. Especially in your worship and in your prayer. You need to be able to see that light. And through that light, your darkness needs to continually be revealed. 
If you keep compromising with these things and tolerating these things, then the devil will keep uh, giving obstruction to that light, receiving that light. And so it becomes difficult for you to acknowledge that you need this. But truly, uh, the light of God can, cannot be stopped by deception. But if you are deceived, that means you are not in the light. And so moving on to verse 10, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. And this word stumbling is the Greek word scandalon. And because they are in light, they can see uh, what's before them, and so they will not stumble. And, but it's because you are you are in darkness that you cannot see. But because we are in light, even though we may be in suffering, even though we may be in pain, no matter the circumstances, we can be happy. Amen? So moving on to verse 11. Uh, but whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going. And it means that he wanders, he's lost. Uh, just as Cain, when, when, when he was cursed by God, God cursed him to wander the earth. And so whoever flees from God, they are in darkness. And because they are in darkness, they cannot help but wander. Why? Because uh, their sin has blinded them and so they have become blind. So we need to continue to keep our eyes open, keep looking to Him who is the author of our salvation and keep having fellowship in Him. And so now let's look at uh, the next part, verse 12. This is where it's really important. And so there are many uh, dimensions to the level of fellowship in the church of jo John. And so at all times, or not all times, but for the most part, uh, the church needs to continually be bound in the similar level. And so are you hearing this word? Are you hearing the word? And so your spiritual makeup needs to transform. Just receiving the word in faith. You need to have the spiritual makeup to receive the word in faith as much as possible. Um, and so you need to eat well. Uh, welcome, welcome. Paradakomai. Paradakomai. Welcome the word. Eat the word well. Eat the word well. Eat eat very healthily. Continually welcome. Welcome. Amen. So let's continue. And so uh, John was written in around AD 56. It was written in the the if uh, the community of Ephesus. Or uh, AD 90. And so and so this church has been in for about 60 years. And so I think for a time they they hit a ceiling and John became their overseer and they came a time of revival. But in this revival now there were many types of saints. 
The first type is children. Here, children. This little children is technia. And then later in verse 14 or verse 13, it says, children. This is paideia. And then young adults, neoniskoi. And then um, fathers, uh, pateres. And so there were these four different groups in, in the John, John church. And so the Holy Spirit is telling me that you need to see the big picture of your Christian spirituality. Maybe it seems I'm never coming back to Costa Rica because God wants me to pour out everything right now. Okay. O open your ears because I'm going to speak really important truths right now. Okay, so up until verse 11 was reiterating what we saw in chapter 1. But now let's look at verse 12. The first element to your spirituality is your will. And your will doesn't mean that, oh, I need to do something. But rather, as I said earlier, it's about your direction. Are you facing towards Him? If you're facing towards Him, trying to be aligned with Him, trying to be in tune with Him, you have this sensitivity to always trying to be attuned with Him. If you look at 1 Kings... You see this picture where Elisha follows after Elijah before Elijah is taken up to heaven. And where does it begin? It begins in the city of Gilgal. So Elijah tells Elisha, you stay here. But Elisha says, no, never may it be. So he follows him to Bethel. And at Bethel, again, Elijah tells Elisha, stay here. And he says, no, may it not be. And so he follows him to Gilgal. Uh, to Jericho, sorry, not Gilgal, but to Jericho. And then in Jericho again, he says, stay here. And he says, no. And he follows him to the banks of the Jordan River. And then in Jordan, what does he receive? He receives the outer cloak of Elijah to separate the Jordan. And so, and so, the first element in your spirituality is always being aware of your um, alignment towards God. And so if you describe this as being in Gilgal, Gilgal is the elementary of your spirituality. It's the beginning of your spirituality. It means that you are receiving the gifts of God, but you need to grow uh, and go to Bethel. And then in Bethel, uh, it's the time of hardship. But then you continue to grow and grow and then you go to Jericho. And Jericho is a place of spiritual warfare. And then as you go through that spiritual warfare, you grow and grow to the point where you have this perfect victory. And that's when you get to the victorious banks of the Jordan. And this is glorification. Banks of the Jordan is glorification. And so f for the past 32 years, 
I have not seen very many people who have gone beyond Gilgal. There's almost no one in Jericho. And it's, it's a rare sight to see someone at the banks of the Jordan. So I believe that many of you will go to the banks of the Jordan. Amen. Let us go to the Jordan. And so the second element of faith is in Ezekiel 40. It says that as this water flows from the east, they uh, go a thousand li. And so when they go a thousand li, the water came up to his ankles and then to the knees and then to the waist and then a water so deep that it covers over him. And so uh, this measurement, uh, as the angel measures, this is emptying, emptying. And so this is the second element, continually emptying yourself. And so that's why it's important to be poor in your spirit. And in order to be poor in spirit, we need to have a heart that mourns and a heart that is meek. And when we are poor in spirit, we are filled with righteousness and, 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 and mercy. And when we are filled with righteousness and mercy, we become pure at heart. But it all begins with being poor in spirit. And so, uh, but those who are pure in heart, they are blessed are the pure for they will see God. And th where does this begin? This begins by being poor in heart. And so you need to uh, empty yourself. And so that's the second element. And then the third element is in Mark 4. It's talking about your time in the spiritual uh, training. Okay, and Mark 4 is uh, the parable of the sower. And what does it begin? It begins with the road. There's no space for that seed to take root. And so the birds come and eat it. This state is the, is the state of worldliness. The spirit of the world. The spirit of world paves the ground to be a road. And so your heart becomes and so your heart becomes so hard that you cannot receive the word. And so do not be filled with the spirit of the world. The second the second one is the is the stony ground. The stony ground. So it takes root and it takes root quickly, but but there's no space for that root to grow, and so it withers quickly. And this is someone who is filled with the spirit of unbelief. And so this is the second level. And then the third level is, is this seed is sprinkled upon, upon the thorny soil. And so he grows. It takes root and it grows. But at the same time, the thorns grow along with it. And what is this talking about? This is talking about two types of seed is being sprinkled. And so in one kingdom, there are two kings. And so this is talking about greed and idolatry. Okay, and so and so in my in my one kingdom there are two kings. There's God and there's greed, and that's why that's why uh, it gets choked. And so and then the fourth stage is the good soil. That even though this small seed gets there, this soil embraces that seed. This good soil. And the only soil that can, can bear fruit is the good soil. And so we must be the good soil. Why? Because this is the only soil that bears fruit. And so if you are the good soil, then God says that you will not work. And yet you will also be a great tree. That how great will this tree be? That you will provide shade. 
And so let us be the good soil. Amen. And then let's talk about what, what is the element that First John is talking about here. This is talking about the amount of time you spend walking with God. And so spirituality isn't about going up to the mountain and coming back down. Going up to the mountain and coming back down. Rather, uh, when Moses and jo Joshua who are at the top of the mountain, they never fall. But the Israelites who are at the base of the mountain are always corrupted. And so what is this? You meet with God at the pinnacle of the mountain and then you get taken to a new height. And then as you see, spend time with God at that height, you get taken to another height. It's not going up and down, going up and down, but rather you keep going up and up and up. That means we have already finished chapter 12, uh, verse 12, 13, 14. And so let's look at this little children. These little children are people who just simply f receive forgiveness of their sins. And so receiving salvation is the beginning of your spirituality. So as I said earlier, this is being at Gilgal. That means that they're, they're simply uh, at the water level of their, of their ankle. That means that right now they're learning the elementary things. And the elementary things are being built inside of them. And so your spirituality doesn't begin by attending church, but it begins by receiving salvation. And so to the early church, whenever they brought outsiders, they waited until that they were uh, baptized by the Holy Spirit. And so they trained them until they were baptized by the Holy Spirit. But there was also uh, a great assembly that they would have. And in this assembly, the, only the people who could die for Jesus Christ, only the people who had baptism could gather there. And so these people begin their spirituality by receiving the Holy Spirit. And so this is the state of being the little children. And then later in verse 13, we see children. And, these ch and what does it say regarding these children? Because you know the Father. And so they are, they are now growing in maturity. And then later we see young adults in verse 13 and 14. And so we're continuing comparing these different types. And what are the young men? They are strong and the word of God abides in them. And that they have overcome the evil one. This is the state of Jericho. That they can engage in spiritual warfare. And that they are embodying the word of God. This is the young adult stage. And it's great for the church to have many young adults and many uh, old men. And then later it says, Fathers, Fathers in verse 13, I'm writing to you because you know him who is from the beginning. And what's the difference between little children and fathers? If you look at it in the Greek, one says, Arche, and the other says, Tor. And so it means that someone who has known uh, the Father from the beginning. 
continually having fellowship with God ever since the beginning. It doesn't mean you are attending church for a long time. No, rather, you are having maintaining a fellowship with God for a long time. How long? Uh, at the very least, in this case, 60 years or more. How, why is this possible? Because they are the church of God. And so for 60 years, they're continually growing and growing and growing and seeing new glory. Christianity isn't about going through first level, second level, third level, and then you graduate. No. Even if you were to live a thousand years, you continually see a new level, new level, keep growing and keep growing. And uh, my church members are witnesses, but even after 32 years, I'm continually growing. And every day, my, my sermon is being renewed, renewed, renewed. And so I'm not boasting in myself right now. Rather, I'm telling you the essence of the church. That you are being renewed infinitely. Why? Because God can pour infinite things to the church. Amen? And so for 60 years, continually meeting with God at the height of the mountain. And so the church is healthy when there are many young adults and many men, and many fathers. And so I bless you, bless you that your church would be filled with these kinds of people. And so I talked about the four elements of faith. Direction. Direction, it's your will. And then emptying yourself. And then dealing with your spiritual bindings. And then walking with God continually. And so these four elements will make will perfect your Christianity. And then let's go on to verse 15. Verse 15 and 16. Now it's talking about what breaks your fellowship with God. Okay, let's take it a little bit slowly. Are you receiving grace in the word? Verse 15. And so I hope that you can receive the word in this conference accurately and clearly. Now I know that God is imparting many things to you right now. He's imparting anointing, power and authority. And when you go back to your churches, many of you will experience deliverance ministry all of a sudden. Even though you didn't want it, you're going to see many of your church members manifest demons. 
Uh, and so for the past 32 years, this is something that I've experienced very often. Now, of course, if you have already been casting out demons, it's okay. But to some of you who've never casted demons out, this may be a surprise. But do not be surprised. But rather, press on forward and continually uh, have stronger prayer life. And so, brothers, uh, I don't know how many church members you may have. That's not what's important. But the most important thing to the church is prayer. It's something you all know very well, right? You need to be able to teach your church members to pray. Uh, when my church was at 180 members, I began 24-hour intercessory prayer ministry. This is really important into the tabernacle, according to the system of the tabernacle, to the church. That the incense must rise day and night. The incense, the oil, and, and the bread of the presence is the only thing that the high priest had to always make sure was ready before the Holy of Holies. And so, check every day that, your, that, that prayer is rising up in your church. And so as, this, as demons begin to manifest in your churches, do not be surprised, but rather pray. And your worship will be renewed. And come to the Spanish site and listen to the various sermons that have been recorded in Spanish. Uh, we have all the other previous conferences and we are continually also uh, recording Sunday services in Spanish. And if you can listen to English, we have more in English. And listening to the word it will be very beneficial to you. So anyways, I encourage you to do so. So moving on to verse 15. Hallelujah. Verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Why does it say not to love the world? Okay, when the Bible talks about the world, there are two different types. There is the world that God loves, the world that God created, right? For God so loved the world. But the other world is the corrupted world of man. The world that rejects God. And so this is the other kind of world. And so when God says here, do not love the world, he's talking about the second, the latter. Why does it say to not love the corrupted world? Because this world began through Cain, who fell from grace. And so the kingdom of heaven and the world are not a little bit different, but they're complete opposites. 
They're complete opposites. And so if you love God, you hate the world. But if you hate God, you will love the world. And so because they are in complete opposite ends, if you love the world, it means that you hate God. But if you love God, you will hate the world. And so there is no compromise here. There is no compromise with this. And so from this perspective, what is the church? It's the kingdom of heaven, but at the same time, it is the place that is perfectly separate from the world. Holiness begins with separation. And so God gave us His holiness because Jesus Christ gave us His righteousness. But why is our church failing to be holy? It's because they do not separate themselves from the world. So this is really important repentance, a source of repentance for us. And so to your church members, do not teach them and do not give them the idea that they can live in the world, compromising with the world and, 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 and only coming to church on Sundays. At, every, at any moment, the church member needs to be ready to leave whatever it is that they're doing to serve God. Do not think that as we live on this earth that God wants us to just enjoy the things of this world just simply to enjoy those, those things. In your sermons, don't give a hint of treating this world to be some answer or to be so great. The world tries to find things from its sites and from its portals. But that's not what's important. What's important is, is the information that, 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 that people are giving you. And so at any moment, we need to be able to look down on the world. At any moment, we need to be able to cast down the world, understanding that the world has no hold over me. Amen? Zechariah 5, that the glorious church of the end times will be, will be manifest. And what is, what is this church? It's the church that is completely separate from Babylon that every single church member has nothing to do with Babylon. Even now, I'm training my church to be this way. That only three people in our church needs to make money, and they feed everyone else. Everyone else pray and minister with me. And so I establish businessmen in our church that only those three can make money. Okay, uh, do you know the fortress of Masada? Okay, before the fortress of Masada surrendered, they all needed to die, right? And do you know how they died? The priest came. 
And they killed their brothers. And, and so that only one person can go to hell. Only one person committed suicide. Uh, this is a joke. I guess no one, it's not funny. It's just a joke. It's the same thing with us. All the church members become holy, but only the three who are making money pollute themselves. No, I'm just joking. That's also a joke. But what, what we need to do is look down on the world. What the world gives is not significant. And this must be clear to you as your pastors. This isn't my own personal philosophy. Look at the Bible. The Bible says that we cannot go hand in hand with the world. That the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this world cannot go together. And so the reason why we should not live in the old self because the old self continually yearns for the world. And the old self wants to be with the world. But the new self cannot be with the world. And so we need to live by the new self. Amen? And so moving on. We need to live by the Spirit. But the world cannot receive the Spirit. And so they do not know the Holy Spirit. They do not know the Word of God. And they're just simply a source of shame. And then there's people who believe that 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 the, that there is the faith. Oh no no no! Sorry. There is the faith of God, and there's also the faith of the world. The faith of the world is judged. And so we should not be condemned, or we should not be judged by them and receive the same condemnation. And at the same time, world hates true Christians. And so if you are welcomed by the world, acknowledged by the world, then what does that mean? Many places in the world is becoming more and more like this. That if you have the truth, you are supposed to be persecuted. If you look at Micah. Where does God meet with the Mike, with the remnant? He doesn't meet with them in the city of religion in Jerusalem. He meets with them in the wilderness. What is the wilderness? The wilderness is the place where you cannot live without God's leading, without God's cloud providing shade. That means without God, in any instant, you can die. Maybe you get bitten by a scorpion, or maybe you die of cold. And so your church primarily needs to be the wilderness. Do not fall into this false security, a sense of security. Remember, if your church is in the wilderness, or no, uh, the wilderness church is, is very uh, blessed. But it's only in the wilderness where men of God are shaped. And the church must be filled with severe warfare. If you don't have severe warfare going on, this is a big issue. Because things happen, so many things happen throughout the day. And so, of course, the church should be praying for all of these things. And so, really, in our neighborhood, our church is always cursed by our neighbors because we're so loud. Because 24 hours we're praying.
La 24 horas hay barbulla en la iglesia. 24 horas, we're praying. So 24 horas, there's always noise. And this is the essence of the church. The church must be loud. The church has authority. The church is the place where we must be vigilant and awake. Amen. So whenever I talk about this money, most of the people at our church say amen, except for who? Except for the people who have money. <laughs> but Okay, but remember, when it comes to uh, Christianity, possession is not important. And so don't teach your church members to yearn for possessions. You need to be a church that is loved by God, not a church that is loved by the world. Stop trying to make a church that is acknowledged by the world. The church is the church of God, not the church of men. This is really important. So let's continue in verse 15. And so that's why he says, do not love the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So why does he say things like this? Because love of the world is old self. And the old self cannot love God. And so the reason why the world serves, or church serves, Oh no, sorry. One thing that the church is, is deluded is, is that they think that they can love God and the world at the same time. What, that was what the Israelites, um, that's the sin of the Israelites. That I can love God, but I can also love Baal. I love, but what this means is that they are just simply acknowledging God because they have tradition, but what they truly love is Baal. And so to them, God is not God, it's Baal. And this is what we call syncretism. Syncretism. What is syncretism? It means you are mixed. God doesn't like it when you're mixed. And so check to see if your church members are serving Baal spiritually. I need God, but I also need money. I need God, but I also need the honor of the world. This is all syncretism. But we need to be God alone. That God alone. That God, you are my everything. 
this must be clear to you pastors that there is nothing to be added to God that there's nothing to, that can be added to the word or taken away from the word. It is the absolute truth. It is the absolute truth. There's nothing to be added to God. It's because you do not live by God that you die. It's not, be, it's not because you lack other things apart from God that you die. If, let's say you take something that God did not give you that's actually going to be the source of your death the money that you have that God did not give you the person that you have that God did not give you these are the things that will kill you and so absolutely a man of God will not die to this man there is nothing in this world that has authority to take their life And so when you open these eyes of faith, you will see that the world truly is nothing. That there's no reason for you to live by the demands of this world. Rather, the world becomes a burden, it becomes a hassle. And so in your church, do not open these channels to the world. You need to annihilate these things. And when you annihilate these things, what's going to happen in your church? God's glory will be perfected in your church. And when the church members see that glory, they won't, even if you tell them to go out into the world, they will not. They will be burdened by the things of the world. They'll become a terrified to be close to the world. This is the essential image of the children of God. Verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life. And so what is the nuance behind this verse? This world grows the desires of the flesh. This world grows the desires of the eyes. And so if you live by the world, you cannot help but live by the pride of life. And so what is the desires of the flesh? It is the strength that empowers the sarks. And so where does sarks receive strength? It receives strength from this world. And so if the fleshly strength goes strong in the community, you will find that the prayer becomes difficult, that worship gets corrupted, and that there's no devotion amongst your church members. And so the source of our victory is continuing putting to death the desires of the flesh. And so for this reason, we need to separate ourselves from the world. And what does it mean to separate from yourselves in the world? Does that mean to go into the forest and run away? No. It means to continually uh, raise up the level of holiness. To continually maintain your sight towards God. That, that it means that you are not influenced by the world. 
Let's say you are immersed and drunk on the world for 23 hours of the day. And only one hour, only on Sunday, you worship God. Then, of course, your worship will not be perfected. All, all, primarily, we can see there's an issue with time. Now, how much time are you giving to whom? The more you give to God is truly what's going to make your church members happy. Praying every day and gathering at the church every day. Devoting to God as often as you can. That is the glory of the church. If not, then simply the desires of the flesh grows within the church. Then your spirituality becomes just simply a tool to survive. Simply for you to know what you will drink, what you eat, what you will wear. This is the desires of the flesh. So remember, primarily when it comes to your faith life in the wilderness, you need to transcend the survival instinct. And so we talked about the Thessalonians earlier this morning. Paul only ministered in Thessalonica for three weeks, and yet their faith, the news of their faith, spread all over um, Asia Minor. And the reason is because they received the word as the word of God. And the evidence that they received the word as the word of God was that when they lived their lives, at that time, they, uh, if you wanted to participate in economics, in markets, you had to belong to a guild. But if you wanted to belong to a guild, you had to sacrifice to idols. And so they quit their guilds. They quit their guilds. What does that mean? That means that they cannot participate in market. They cannot buy or sell anything. And so we also at the same, at the same time, we need to understand that our life doesn't come from this world. And so they only listened to the word for three weeks. And yet already this kind of great things happened in the church. So if your church cannot transcend survival, then your church will not grow. Every church member, you need to set free from this survival instinct. God takes care of what we will eat, what we will drink, what we will wear. God takes care of the contents of our life. And so we need this essential faith. And what else does it say? The uh, desires of the eyes. What is the desires of the eyes? You are through your eyes, through your ears, you keep uh, absorbing the strength of the world. TV, cell phones, this is the issue. And so if you are strong in the desires of the eyes, you cannot see the light of God. You cannot hear the voice of God. You cannot hear the word. Why? Okay, shall we um, turn to this slide?
So let's look at this image here. This is human physiology. It is the structure of the human spirit. Okay, there's the spirit. And in that spirit is the Holy Spirit to a born-again child, a son of God. And the spirit has three functions of the intellect, emotion, and will. <laughs> and so when I talk about this mindset, this mindset is not your brain, but the mindset of your the mindset of your spirit. And so what is this mindset is, is, is the records of your life. So everything that you said, everything that you've heard, everything that you've done, everything that you thought is recorded here. And so this mindset uh, will resurrect with you when you die. It will resurrect with you. And so when you resurrect, the intellect, emotion, and will will also be resurrected. And this mindset will also be resurrected. And so if there's filth in this mindset, this mind, all that filth will come with that mindset. And so while we're on earth, let us wash this clean with the blood. Amen? And then so up until this point, we call it the spirit soul. Oh. And then so, uh, sorry, I, I didn't hear what he said. Um, okay, and so up until this point, if this, if this, if you, if the old self is holding this, then you are moving by your mind. So for example, let's say in your mindset, it says, it has this information that I need money to be happy. Then this mindset is going to keep moving your 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 body, your 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 brain, and your brain is going to move your behavior. And so all of your behavior is determined through what goes on here. And so up until this point, we call this the heart, uh, the Greek word cardia that you see in the Bible, where it says your heart. But there's another heart, which is the nous, the Greek word nous. And uh, again, the Bible tends to translate this word nous as heart. But it's actually not the heart. We can call the nous like the window to my spirit. And so if you look at Philippians 4.6, it says uh, that goes beyond all understanding. This understanding is the word news. And so if the desires of your eyes is continually inundated by the information of the computer and cell phone, then your news gets corrupted. You cannot receive the light of the truth. And actually, regarding the noose is a whole sermon in itself. 
But let's just look at one thing. Look at Revelations 13, 18. Revelations 13.18 It says, this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. Again, here it's this word understanding is the word noose. And so in this end times, to the men of God, this this number of the beast, this 666, there's going to be people who know who the Antichrist is. But who are these people? They are people with a clean noose. And so only the church members uh, who have this clean noose will know who the Antichrist is and will be able to discern the number of the beast. Look at John 17. John 17:9. It says that I am praying for them. I'm uh, sorry. Revelation 17:9. This calls for a mind with wisdom. And again, this word mind here is noose. And so the noose receives wisdom. And who is this with the good news? The seven heads of seven mountains on which the women is seated. He can see that. Let's look at one more thing. Daniel. Daniel 11.33. Daniel 11.33. Again here it says... Uh, and the wise among them, uh, the people shall make many understand. Again, this word is the word noose. And so, uh, yeah, I cannot share with the, uh, the eschatology with you right now, but I pray that you would yearn for these things that hurry up that this, this, that, uh, that, that uh, all of these things will be translated for you. But anyways, it's the same thing. In these end times, there's going to be people who can uh, declare the victory against the Antichrist in the end times. And it's who? Those who do not have a corrupt noose. And so in our church, it is official standard that they cannot have a TV. All of our church members do not have a TV. And children, until they get adulthood, cannot have a cell phone. Why? Because it pollutes their noose. Through their cell phones, uh, the world enters into them. This is really important. Through the desires of the eyes, the devil sows confusion in this world. And so in these end times, uh, this corrupted noose is going to allow the Antichrist to rise up. But there's going to be people who stand against the Antichrist 
And it is who? Those who have a clean noose, who will stand and have the victory against the Antichrist. And so let us get rid of the desires of the eyes. Amen? Amen. By the blood of Jesus, cleanse your noose. The blood that is sprinkled inside of you has the power to clean your noose. And actually one of our professors uh, wrote a dissertation regarding this picture that you're seeing here. And so all five of our professors at our church uh, wrote their dissertations based on my sermons. It's not so that we can be acknowledged by the world, but rather so that we can prove to the great prostitute that we have the truth. And so we let us put off the desires of the eyes. And let that the power of the blood cleanse your noose so that we can see through the eyes of faith, see the spirit of Christ. It's when your noose is clean that you can hear the voice of God very clearly. The noose needs to be clean that you are sensitive to the movement of the Holy Spirit. And so be someone like me who is computer illiterate. Because eternal life doesn't move according to digital principles, but rather analog principles. Long time ago, when I was studying the Bible, I didn't, ha I didn't look at commentaries. And if I thought that, oh, I remember this verse, I thought it was this in this place and there, then I would, if I couldn't find it, I would have to read the Bible from Genesis to ex Revelation. The reason why I know where everything in the Bible is now is because at that time, I, I, I spent this all this time, invested all this time finding verses in the Bible. And so, uh, whenever I choose a, a topic for, uh, whenever I choose a, a, um, a sermon, I look at it at least 60 times. And so, for the most part, I know where, where the general area of a certain verse is. And so, it, this shows you that Christianity move, or spirituality moves according to analog, not digital. Okay, spirituality is not digital, it's analog. And so let's move on. And so because you live by the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, you are filled with the pride of life. What is Zoe life? It's eternal life, right? Zoe. The second kind of life is the psyche life, the life of the psyche, right? The life of the soul. But if you are living by the psyche, that is, means you are living by the flesh. And then the second kind, of, the third kind of life in Greek is bios, right? Bios, which is the life of an animal, right? You, you all know of bio, bio-grade food products, right? This is the strategy of the devil trying to make you like an animal, trying to tr treat you like an animal. And that's why we call this the kingdom of the beast. Look at the politicians. They're saying that they're going back to nature and they're, they're living for nature, but the system of this world 
is, is strengthening the strong and weakening the weak. That is the uh, kingdom of the beast. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, and so we must not be close with this, with this world of the beast. Amen? And so, uh, all of these things do not come from the Father, but come from the world. If you look at Genesis 4, Cain creates this Babylon system. And from that moment it began, all these desires of Babylon were born. Uh, the desire for fame, the desire for possession, the desire for, for uh, idolatry, all of these desires go hand in hand. And so let us not live by Babylon. Amen? We need to be separate, completely separate. Amen? And so verse 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so if the world lasts forever, then why not invest in the world? But it doesn't last forever. And all of this will pass away. And so if I have a cancerous cell in my body, that, that, can, uh, that cancerous cell dies, kills me, right? But when I die, that cell also dies. And so that's what this, this uh, desire of, of the flesh does. That it kills me and I die, but even though I die, it kills, it kills me. Uh, it dies as well. Only the new self lasts for eternal. And so it's only by living in the new self can we gain anything. And so let us not live by the old self. Let us not live by what is dead. Isn't this terrifying? Look at what, look at, isn't it terrifying to know that the devil is going to take control of this world by corrupting your noose? So look at what, how, the, how much of an enemy television is. Look at how much an enemy the cell phone is. This is how the devil is polluting your noose. To keep them from knowing the truth. To keep them from receiving the truth. To keep them from seeing the things of God. And so if the noose is corrupted in you, then pray at this time and let that blood uh, uh, cleanse you from within. In Latin America, many brothers and sisters, like the prophecy of Daniel, that, you, that many of you will have this clean noose that can trample upon the devil. And so let us pray. Amen. Okay, thank you for being patient. But, uh, already tomorrow is, is the third day. And so we're finally, we're entering into the official text of First John. And I'm going to finish First John in this conference. Because there's no guarantee that I'm going to meet with you again. So we will finish First John. And we need to receive all of First John and receive that, that, that dominion. And so let us be intimate with God that we can enter into His inner chamber. That 
uh, as I was preparing for this conference, God gave me this word powerfully, the word of Amos 3.7, that God does not move without first revealing His secrets to His servants, the prophets. And so in this conference, even if it's just one of you, I bless you that, 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 that you would enter into this sword, into this inner chamber of God. Who it is? I do not know. Who is it going to be? Who is it going to be? Let us pray. Lord, your servants want to enter into your soul, your inner chamber. Pour out your blood and cleanse them. That our corrupted noose would be cleansed. That we would see your eternal life. Let us pray all together in spirit. I'm going to step down but God is giving me this inspiration that do not just go straight to your rooms but I'm going to turn off the lights here and for at least 30 minutes have deep fellowship with God I think in your prayer time God is going to do amazing things and so if you're really tired go into your rooms but I bless you and I pray that you would pray deeply with God. I am a pastor who stresses the importance of never losing your prayer time. But if you have fellowship with God, you will not uh, pray shortly. You, We try to pray two and a half hours a day. But I'm, I'm not trying to put emphasis on the time 
but rather if you have the right relationship with God that is the ad attitude you will have and so through this conference I pray that your relationship with God would be restored that, that uh, the intimacy would be restored because the children of God uh, prays to God and God touches their lives through prayer I do not make my life and so as long as God is hearing my prayers then of course you're going to pray and so for 30 minutes let's pray deeply to God and so I know that you are praying standing up out of reverence to God but I, I ask you to sit down and to have deep fellowship with God and so Lord tonight may amazing things happen meet with your servants and may amazing things happen tonight Lord be present in this place let us pray all together in spirit and in tongues